Hello and welcome to episode 21 of For Art's Sake, an art history and museum podcast. I'm your host, Rhea. So before we jump into the main topic for this episode, which is the second um, Black History Month dedicated episode out of three for this month, obviously not the end of Black history in regards to art and museums, but specifically for this month. Um, next week, I am doing a more Valentine's Day love themed episode, which you'll, you'll see when we get there. I'm quite proud of like what I've decided to talk about. But anyway, um, before we jump into the topic, I want to talk about something. I want to talk about a new documentary on HBO that a lot of my friends <laughs> have sent me links and trailers to. Um, if you are already an art and museum person, you have probably already heard about this documentary or have already seen it. I have not been able to watch it yet. Um, our free trial of for HBO ran out just before the documentary was put on HBO, which is unfortunate, but I'm um, trying to figure out a way to watch it. I'm probably gonna have to watch it on my laptop because usually I watch things on the PS4 and the HBO app on the PlayStation is absolute garbage. It's terrible. But anyway, um, the documentary is called Black Art in the Absence of Light. And it is a documentary that explores art by black artists, many prominent, influential artists, um, so many, like it focuses on modern and contemporary art. Um, so you'll have your modern as in like in the 1900s. Um, but mostly it does focus on like a lot of contemporary work, um, and artists that other documentaries may not talk about, um, or, you know, because of the way that art, the art world is, they may not be talked about, um, because, you just need the way that the art world is but it also doesn't just talk about um the artist oh my god they have theister gates in it sorry <laughs> i just so obviously i haven't watched the exhibit i mean the the um documentary and i just saw a list because i already knew that amy sherald was in it um betty sars and uh, carrie may weems was um but I didn't know. If, so I just last episode met briefly mentioned Theoster Gates, one of my favorite exhibits that I've ever seen that I actually had to write about. So it was like a lot of fun was Theoster Gates. And I just got really excited. Oh, God, I need to see this documentary so bad. But it's not just artists. It's also people behind the scenes, mostly curators, because curators in particular, black curators um, have been incredibly instrumental in bringing black art and black artists to the limelight to any light really by you know working their way through museums um often opening their own museums own galleries collecting their own art doing all of this so that they can sh put on a showcase of black art and artists um they focus on prominent curators um throughout a uh, the 1900s. Well, see, I say that because there's one curator in particular who put together an exhibition, a very famous one, important one in the 1970s. Um, that was the first major show of black artists. Um, it was from 1750 to 1950, I'm not mistaken. So it's all modern art. Um, he did that in the 1970s. And so it's, it's not just artists, which who are very important, but it's also the curators because the curators, you know, they may not always be seen by the mainstream public. Um, 
especially in comparison to white curators, of course. Um, but they're very, very instrumental in shaping the art world and shaping art history, how we talk about artists, how we talk about art, how we learn about certain terms, you know, how we even create those terms. Um, because curators, you know, are basically art historians with more of a platform, um, if I can say that. So it's really cool. Like when I found out that it was specific, David Driscoll, David Driscoll is the curator's name. When I found out that it, it was included curation and specifically the role of exhibits and how they form, how we talk about black artists and how we know about a lot of black artists. Um, I just thought that was like, whoa, this like documentary is already cool. Now it's super, super cool. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to briefly talk about it. I know I haven't seen it yet. I am going to try and watch it and then I'm going to talk about it again um, because I, I've heard so many good things about this documentary. Um, I've seen like little clips on Instagram stories, like, oh my gosh, this is one of those things that like all, like if I was in school right now, we would be talking about this. We'd be trying to watch it. We'd be doing all this stuff. And I'm sure that classrooms in the future, near future, are going to be watching this documentary. So that's really, really exciting. So if you get to watch it, I'm so happy for you. I'm going to try my best to watch it as soon as possible. Okay, so let's jump into this week's episode. So, um, first, just getting out of the gate. I know that a lot of my topics, a lot of my episodes do focus around Baltimore and DC. Um, frankly, it's what I know best. So, like, I feel a little bit more comfortable as I'm in the beginning stages of this podcast of doing things I'm a little bit more familiar with, you know, places I've been, places that I know about, people I know about. Um, it's just, frankly, easier. And um, it makes me feel more comfortable when I speak about it. So, and I was just thinking like, oh, I focus a lot on that. But you know what? There's a lot, especially in Baltimore, there's so much good art, art history and museum. So, you know, if that's a problem for you, I'm not sorry. Um, so <laughs> this week I wanted to specifically talk about um the uprisings that have happened over the summer and in recent years. And so then I narrowed it down even further of like, I want to talk about the Baltimore uprising and the Baltimore uprising of 2015 may seem like one blip in time to a lot of people. Like it was this one moment, but there's so much to talk about it and it still has its impacts today. Um, like it's not just a blip in time. It wasn't just a moment. Um, it was a movement and, Specifically, when it comes to art and museums, there's a lot to talk about. The way that we locally um, remember it and how we exhibit it and the narrative that we have for current and future visitors, children, uh, school children, stuff like that. Um, in particular, when I worked at the Maryland Center for History and Culture, they had this exhibit structure and perspective, which I did briefly talk about in my Mining the Museum episode, that it was sort of like a second Mining the Museum, but not as effective. But in there, there was a specific part that was about the 2015 Baltimore Uprising, because at the time, um, the Maryland Historical Society, then it was called, was doing an initiative to get photographs and video, as well as anything else, really, but a huge focus on photograph and video. Um, to document that time. And in this exhibit, there was a section where there was a TV screen that had photographs and there were some items um, from like things that were set on fire. Um, 
and there was like this blown up image and they still have that and that project open and they expanded it for the 2020 uprising while there wasn't a specific thing that happened in Baltimore there were protests and they were asking for photographs and specifically um the Joe Tropea who is the curator he's like the head of photography at the museum um we talked briefly because Harford County where I'm from had seen a lot more protests and a lot more initiatives than previous years. And I personally thought that was really important. And also Cecil County, really important to try and collect because, you know, just because it's a smaller area doesn't mean the narrative is any less. And the protests in Harford County that happened over the summer are really, really important in showing how much people have learned and grown and are trying to fight for change. Um, so they had expanded that initiative. And so something like that, like, it's really important to talk about, especially like how we protest in our contemporary times and how photographs in particular have always, always held a giant importance in how we document things, how we tell a narrative, and how we change things. And that's still very much true today. So all of that led me to, of course, talking about a local photographer who became famous because of his images of the 2015 Baltimore Uprising. Um, and he's become kind of the person who captures Baltimore. And his name is Devin Allen. So I have noticed that a lot of people don't really know his name outside the area. But if you are from Maryland, especially Baltimore, he's kind of like a hometown hero. You know about Devin Allen. But even if you don't know his name and his other work, you do know at least one of his photographs, um, which I'll talk about. But let's start with his rise to fame um, and what he's and then we'll get to what he's up to. So a lot of my information I got from a 2015 article by the New York Times, a 2016 or article from CNN, and I also went through his Instagram. Um, most information that I tried to find did not include his life before pho photographing the 2015 Baltimore Uprising, but I tried my best to find information. So Devin Allen, he grew up in the west side of Baltimore, actually not far from where Freddie Gray grew up as well. Um, however, as he noted in his interview with CNN, he did not know Gray personally, but he knew a lot of people who knew him due to the tight community there. So when Freddie Gray was arrested and eventually when he died, um, he knew a lot of people who shared videos with him, who talked about what happened. And that kind of angry spirit, if I can say, really grew in his area and he started to realize that something was going to happen in the city. So he was already, you know, as a self-taught photographer, um, doing work in Baltimore. Um, and he had a modest following on Instagram and Twitter. When I scrolled through, there would be people, you know, commenting, I don't really know this guy, but I love his work. He's going to be big one day. And little did they know, yes, that would be very, very true. 
Um, his early work includes a mix of like these really stunning portraits of models and of friends, some kind of like sexy photos of models, um, a lot of street photography of Baltimore, of course, um, during heavy snowstorms, St. Patrick's Day parade outside the Walters, you know, on Charles Street. And then he has some really like sublime nature shots, um, which I think are from nearby parks, which include like he was exploring some editing and stuff. So, like I said, Alan described the feeling in the city um, after Freddie Gray's arrest and death. Um, after everything, like the video started to circulate, um, he, he felt like something was going to happen in Baltimore. And as a photographer, that feeling, he just basically started to carry his camera wherever he went. So let's go back to April 2015. Like I said, he had a feeling, so he started taking his camera around everywhere and started attending the various rallies and marches that were happening within the city. People were marching to the city courthouse, the police stations, they were holding rallies um, where Freddie Gray was arrested, and then there was a protest or a march that went by Camden Yards. And Camden Yards had just had a baseball game, you know, with the Orioles, obviously. And there were plenty of fans outside. And a few of them were, of course, drunk and were very, very racist. And things were starting to get tense already with the protests because of the police surrounding protests, um, making their presence known, kind of boxing in um of protesters and then you had these people bothering people who were rightfully hurt and upset um i remember exactly when this happened in the photographs basically there are these um, racist orioles fans all wearing orioles stuff and like there are people like there's this one image of like a man it looks like he's grabbing her purse but in reality she was like using her purse to like hit people and he was trying to stop her um but uh yeah basically the violence if you will erupted from there um police started to seriously go after people box them in chase after them um people started running away started um, kicking and stepping on police cars, stuff like that. And that's when Devin Allen took his famous photograph. It was taken on April 25th, 2015. Um, it is an image, a black and white image, which is of course, Devin Allen's style. Um, in the foreground, you have the out of focus, um, portrait, if you will, of, uh, I'm pretty sure an unknown man. He's wearing a white baseball cap, which is turned around. Um, he's wearing a bandana over his face and he's wearing um, a long sleeve top and jeans. And he's running forward towards us with his leg coming forward. And then in the background is a whole wall of police officers in SWAT gear. They're wearing um, those visors over their faces and they have large batons and they are in motion. And all of this is taking place on a Baltimore street. You can see the buildings, um, Camden Street. You can see the light there in the background. Um, and you can see the highway all the way back there. Um, and 
this made it to the cover of Time magazine, which made it a very famous image. Um, the cover says America 1968 is crossed out with red and 2015 is written over that. And it says what hasn't changed, what has changed, what hasn't. And it's by David Vaughn Drehill, Drehill, Drelly. Um, he was, uh, Devin Allen became the third amateur photographer to make it onto the cover of Time magazine, which is pretty major. So he took around 10,000 uh, plus photos. Many of his images that he posted on Instagram went viral. And when he posted this image, basically his, as he explained to CNN, um, he wanted to get ahead of the media and he wanted a more honest portrayal of Baltimore and the Baltimore people and how they were feeling. Um, so he was posting constantly on his Instagram and his images um, of the movement going on of the uprising became the best source of what was happening within the city and his images were picked up by major news sources like the BBC and the New York Times and went viral all over the internet on Facebook Twitter Instagram people were sharing a lot of his images and he was dubbed the eyes of Baltimore because of this now he didn't even know that his image this image which is called um let me see let me just make sure it's like this pretty cool. It's called Uprising Baltimore. Um, this image, he didn't know it became viral because he was continuing to do the work to stay on the street to photograph stuff well into the night. And it was when he returned home that he was like, oh my gosh, um, this went majorly viral. Um, and just in case anybody doesn't know, he does take photographs with a DSLR, which is like a nice digital camera. Um, and he uses a program, like an app basically to transfer those photos to his phone. So it's not taken necessarily with his phone, though sometimes he does take photos with his phone, of course. So riding that wave of fame from, um, his viral images, he, um, draw, uh, he launched this youth program called Through Their Eyes, which is a youth program that teaches photography to Baltimore City school students, but especially in districts that um, unfortunately have underfunded art education programs. So in this um, program, um, they help the children work on photography-related projects. They literally give cameras to students, which is really cool. Um, and they organize educational workshops and then the students take photographs and then they get to exhibit them at the end of the program. Um, this program is really cool because like other local photographers would help with the, um, the workshops, which is, um, actually how I found out about them specifically. So his images are really important because they are a more honest, raw portrayal of Baltimore at this time. Um, of course, Devin Allen growing up in Baltimore, in West Baltimore, um, like literally five minutes away from where Freddie Gray was arrested, is seen within those photographs. Um, his style is black and white, um, which adds, you know, when you take something in black and white, especially when you were able to take it in color, it has a purpose within itself, a purpose within film and a purpose within photography. Um, and 
so one of the things that resonates is like another civil rights movement well the civil rights movements didn't really end and then it adds this like really raw beauty there's these this attention to detail that you have to have be really good at photography first of all but you have to be from Baltimore to know what you're taking a picture of you have to know what it's like to grow up in Baltimore with the Baltimore PD you have to know the personality of Baltimore and yeah photojournalists from you know the Washington Post for example are really great but they're not going to be able to capture it the same way so his images were incredibly important um here's some of them um one of my favorite images is there's a protest in downtown Baltimore um and there's this like walkway which is white and you know there are people kind of walking around mingling and then there's a young man on his knees with his hands up you know hands up don't shoot and his hands um he has dark skin and it's contrasted against the white bridge like the framing of that is just you have to have an eye you know um he took a lot of photos of people with signs, different hashtags, um, the expressions on people's faces are just really stunning. So if you're really interested in seeing um, more of a complete work, things that are more than just um, posted online, of course, I mean, you are going to get those photos, but um, he does have a photo book, a coffee table book which is called A Beautiful Ghetto, which was published in 2017 following his 2016 exhibition, also called A Beautiful Ghetto, which was held at the gallery slot. This is um, one of his first exhibits, and he also had an exhibit at um, the Reginald F. Lewis Museum, which is a local museum. The um, book, A Beautiful Ghetto, was nominated for the 49th NAACP Image Awards in the category of Outstanding Literary Work, debut author um when i worked at the maryland center for history and culture we sold a few copies in there and so sometimes when i was bored i would look through really gorgeous images um he captures more than just you know the protests but his documentary documentation of the city kind of helps you if you don't know anything about baltimore understand why it ha this happened finally um, in 2015, why there was an uprising, because it didn't happen out of nowhere. Baltimore has faced decades and decades of violence and pain from the state not doing anything to the police being very corrupt. If you don't know anything about the Baltimore police, um, please do your research. So some of the image here, images here, he has um, these memorials. If you go throughout the, the city, um, often they're on like telephone poles, stuff like that. They are memorials to people who have been shot and killed, um, typically. Um, and there will often be stuffed animals on a tree, balloons, um, flowers, um, bottles of alcohol, candles. Um, he photographed a man kneeling at a cross outside some buildings um i'm not sure of the context of that but it's a very stunning image um one of my other favorite favorite images is somebody getting their hair done by a barber because barbershops you know hold a very important role um for a lot of people and in the overall black culture especially for men and just this capture it's just very calming and peaceful 
And when you know the context of it, you know, it's really great. Um, and of course, he has plenty of images of the protests, of the different people, um, of the row homes that are dilapidated, dilapidated and destroyed, of children dancing. So, you know, it is the Baltimore spirit, and he captures it, of course, very, very well, and it's all in black and white. Um, and I'm glad that he took photos in black and white because I feel like it wouldn't have resonated as well. Like, I mean, of course, I'm saying that after viewing his work, it just feels right. So in 2017, Devin Allen was selected as the first recipient of the brand new Gordon Parks Foundation Fellowship. Um, and he used this fellowship to help support his Through Their Eyes project, which I believe is still ongoing. Um, I'm not sure with COVID. And of course, he never left Baltimore. He never stopped photographing Baltimore. In fact, the moment, you know, when his images started to resonate with people and they would go viral and then he, he got on Time Magazine, he realized that his calling was photojournalism and he wanted to start focusing on that. Um, it's not that he doesn't do the same type of photography that he did previously. Um, he still, you know, will sometimes photograph friends, sometimes model, you know, his life. Um, but primarily, you know, his job is a photojournalist. And I think that's so cool that he continued with that because he should, because he's so talented, obviously. Um, so he, again, he never left Baltimore. He just continued to photograph Baltimore in different ways and different times. So even after the uprising, which lasted two weeks, he continued to focus on the different stuff, you know, different protests would happen. It's just not necessarily this, well, simply an uprising, this moment where is two weeks seems like, or is it three weeks? I don't remember. One second. Let me check my notes. Yes, three weeks. My bad. Um, it seems like this moment, but like there's still things happening. It didn't just end. Um, but most notably, um, he, of course, it would make sense for him to be talked about again, to be to have a focus again with the 2020 uprising, even though nothing happened um, like what happened in 2015 in Baltimore. Um, of course, we look to him as this photojournalist who is known for his protest coverage. And he took tons of photos, of course. And on June 5th, 2020, he went to a uh, demonstration and it was specifically supporting the Black transgender community within the city and in the state. And he captured another another photograph that was featured on Time magazine. Um, this one is a bunch of people are laying on the ground. And he took the photo behind somebody um, who is holding a megaphone. And the megaphone's a little blurry because they're moving you know they're upset they're in you know expressing their feelings yelling something like they have like that that um talking piece that's connected to a megaphone and they're not wearing a shirt but there's a necklace and you view them you know they're back and there's this whole street ahead of them mostly people laying down or sitting down some with posters some without and then you have the city 
kind of to the side in the background. You, it's almost eclipsed by like this street of people. It's a gorgeous photograph. It really is. He took other photographs then. Um, there's boarded up buildings, of course, because people were th expecting violence. And spray painted on those buildings or those the plywood is um, police are the real pandemic. A lot of people laying down with masks on their faces. Um, different signs, signs of people's names. Um, what's especially notable about these photographs, of course, are the masks. But he also tried this new sort of um, series where he put different images, overlaid different images, um, creating this kind of collage. Um, for example, this one here called Untitled 2019. Um, students from City Springs Elementary, Middle School, in East Baltimore. Students studied my book, A Beautiful Ghetto. Inspired by the book, they wrote poems to convey how the photography made them feel. I took some of their favorite photos and collaged them together. And he has a few images like that, um, which are really cool. They're a little bit dizzying, but they express the feelings that were captured in the original photographs. Um, also, oh, another notable things is Corinne Gaines um, was a woman killed by police um, in Baltimore by the Baltimore PD, and that happened after Freddie Gray. So, um, of course, in protests since then, she's been mentioned, but this has been one of the more major movements, and so her name is more prominent um, within this protest. I'm just scrolling through, looking at these photographs. Um... <laughs> I can't believe this just happened last summer. And the masks, which is, oh boy. Um, and then in July, 2020, he was selected as a Leica ambassador. Leica is a type of camera often used by um, street photographers and it's very popular um, one, photojournalists, stuff like that. Um, I've always wanted a Leica camera. Um, but yeah, they're a German company and they manufacture different cameras um, and different kind of lenses and stuff like microscopes, which is cool. And it's really cool that not only was he the first recipient of the Gordon Parks Foundation, um, Gordon Parks being an incredibly famous and important photographer for a lot of reasons. And then he was also selected as a Leica ambassador. A lot of people, I think, are critical of Devin Allen for some reason. Um and you know what? I'm not even going to discuss why they're critical because it just comes out of a place of racism. Let's be honest about that. So he's continuing to take photographs. He takes photographs of his personal life, you know, things that he's doing, of course, just like anybody. Um, he takes photos from around the city. He still participates in street photography, which is also a form of journalism, of course. But one of the more notable things that just happened is he has a Under Armour sneaker and apparel line. So Under Armour is a Baltimore company. Um, and while they are an international company, like they send stuff internationally, they're still very much rooted within Baltimore. Um, and it made a lot of sense that Under Armour and Devin Allen work together. And it's just a really cool thing for him. Um, I've I, I can't recall like a like photographers really having clothing lines um of course you know I, I 
probably definitely wrong, but typically I think about t-shirts or tote bags, but it's really cool that he has this kind of more abstracted, it's not like his photographs are really, um, like, you know, put on a t-shirt because he has these sneakers and my cat, my cat's yelling. Hey bud, can you not interrupt me? Okay. Oh, okay. I understand. Oh, all right. Okay. Are you done? Can I continue? Is that all right? Okay. So I'm going to read the statement from Under Armour. It's from their website, um, To Baltimore With Love. Um, Under Armour celebrates the city of Baltimore with the Under Armour X Devin Allen collection. And Devin Allen style, like his um, Instagram, which is D-V-N-L-L-N. This is a love letter to a city that redefines resiliency to the beauty and strength of the black community that has so much to offer, to the connection and possibilities that sports bring. This Black History Month, we celebrate Black Baltimore. Driven by Baltimore artist, community leader, Gordon Parks Foundation fellow, and Under Armour photographer, Devin Allen, whose photos have twice graced the cover of Time Magazine, this collaboration highlights the untold stories of young Baltimore athletes as they preserve and fight to change the future. Using the power of sport to support, inspire, and provide access to the next generation, the Under Armour X Devin Allen collection also contributes to the development through partnership with two Baltimore-based nonprofits. Check out the stories below and get to know the people behind our most personal collection yet. So then they have stuff about the profit pro, pro, process, and then they have um, uh, meet Devin Allen and talks about how he rose to fame, and then we have the people hear from our chief people and administrative officer um, behind the collection. You keep scrolling. Stephen Curry partners with Devin Allen to celebrate Black Baltimore for Black History Month. A letter from Under Armour Beats. Black employees achieving together. Oh, cool. So there's actually quite a lot of... Oh, and they also interviewed different athletes and community impacts. Let's see here. The Wide Acle Youth Media is an arts-based nonprofit in Baltimore that cultivates and amplifies the voices of Baltimore youth to engage audiences across generational, cultural, and social divides. Their programs inspire creativity, instill confidence in young people, empowering them with skills to navigate school, career, and life. As our expansion of the partnership with Under Armour, Devin Allen has committed to monitoring Baltimore youth and getting cameras into their hands. And then there's Noisy Tenants, which is a Baltimore-based production agency started by Nicholas Mitchell and Chris Landrum. Quarter their practices engaging youth in their classrooms and neighboring via micro internships called the agency. Chris Nicholas and Chris' resume also includes launching social enterprises in theater and film productions. Noise Attendance is partnering with Under Armour to walk local youth through the creative process from idea to completion of creating a mural, mural which will represent Baltimore youth voices near Oriole Park. Um, Baltimore is very much known for their murals as well. Murals are a big thing in Baltimore, which I will talk about one day. So, I know that there isn't technically a lot of information that's out there about Devin Allen's um, early life. I hope that one day, you know, he's a very important photographer who's going to be in art history. I know that in my history photography class, we already started talking about him um, because his work is so important. And also, I went to a university outside of Baltimore, basically in Baltimore, Um but he's not just important for Baltimore, of course. He is important in art history. He's important because he represents a more honest portrayal 
of Black Americans, Black Baltimore citizens specifically, and especially during a very turbulent time where it's kind of like a kettle under pressure. Baltimore City has faced so much history and so much pain and suffering and purposeful not caringness by the state that has led to a large amount of poverty, which has led to a lot of violence and trauma. And so April 2015, of course, was going to happen. Um, it was like enough is enough. And his representation of that is great. Um, it's coming from a personal place. I haven't grown up in Baltimore and it's also coming from a place of love for this city because this is a type of city that has there's so much personality and so much history. There's so much to love and so much to hate. It's very easy if you grew up in Baltimore and actually grew up with the bad stuff of Baltimore because there's a lot of rich people, by the way, in Baltimore. So I'm not talking about them. Now I'm talking about the working class people, the black and brown communities of Baltimore, the LGBTQ people of Baltimore who have had to really like face the struggles that this city forces upon them. Um, and a lot of people hate the city for that, which is totally understandable, but at the same time are protective and loving of this community, of their community, of the different communities, of the different little details of Baltimore. Um, and I think that Devin Allen's work you know, it's a love letter to Baltimore beyond just his Under Armour um, collaboration. His work is a love letter to Baltimore in general. Even if he doesn't just photograph Baltimore, he always comes back to Baltimore. He lives in Baltimore. He constantly does stuff in Baltimore. Um, and Baltimore is kind of like the priority in regards to his photojournalism. And I think that he brings that Baltimore street photographer style, which is a specific style, um, let's be honest there. Um, he brings that to his work. Um, and you can always identify Devin Allen, which is really great. Um, I guess for him, like in regards to art history, you know, st students studying the history of photography one day, you're going to know it's a Devin Allen. Um, and it's just it's really cool that we have this really great photojournalist. Um, I'm a big fan of photojournalism. I think that comes across and, um, I love the way that different photojournalists approach different things. There's so many, and, and also the street photographers and a lot of photojournalists utilize that often. They were street photographers and it's just my favorite type of photography. And so it's just really cool that we have this guy who has this immense talent and was able to show Baltimore reality to show the correct perspective, you know, um, a lot of people, of course, if you paid attention to news at all within the last five years, um, a lot of people have really terrible things to say about Baltimore and yes, violence and stuff exists, bad stuff exists, but it's not necessarily because of the people, you know, there are systematic, systematic reasons behind, um, what happened, what continues to happen. And I think he portrays that and he gives Baltimore people more of a voice. So, yeah, I wanted to just discuss Devin Allen. Um, I can't wait to see what else he does um, in the future. Hopefully there's not, not a bunch of terrible things that happen, of course, but um, 
I'm always excited when he posts on Instagram. I love that he still utilizes social media the way he's always done because um, he doesn't have to do that. But he still, as like an actual artist, an actual professional now, um, you know, of course, has his own structured thing that artists do, you know, website, all that. But he still uses Instagram um, in the way he's also, he used Instagram before everything happened. All right, so next week, or this week rather, because of when this is coming out, unfortunately, which I will explain in a second, is going to be a Valentine's Day themed episode. I'm really excited about it. I'm going to be talking about an artist and his work that focuses on love. And um, just, I, I know I'm being vague about it, but I'm really excited and I hope things work well. Um, I had issues with recording. Um, I just had really bad brain fog one day in particular. I was just incredible. I had really bad vertigo. I was really dizzy. Like even when I closed my eyes, which scares me. Like when you, you're laying down you close your eyes and you're so dizzy, it's frightening. Um, and then on top of that, like I finally was recording and all of a sudden anchor stopped recording in the middle of one of my segments and which really sucks. Um, and it's hard to tell because if you're in a different window, it still has the record thing on in that tab, but whatever. I went to go and continue to record and every time I would hit record, it would just not record anything and it would act like I stopped recording and then like save that even though there's nothing. Um, so that was really annoying. Um, so that's <laughs> why this episode is so late. It just started doing it again, but thankfully I refreshed. So let me end this episode before I'm not able to record anymore. Um, yeah, I hope you had a good Valentine's day. Um, hope you you know, did some self-care, loved yourself, put on a cute outfit, you know, said you loved your family members and friends and your pets, stuff like that. Um, it's not just romantic love, of course. Um, I had a good Valentine's Day and I work today and I'm trying to get this recording out because I'm tired of being late. I'm tired of my brain not working too. Um, so I hope you have a good week. I will, you will, you will hear from me. I won't hear from you next week. Of course, you can follow me on Facebook, of course, for art's sakes, um, for art's sake, an art history museum podcast. You can follow the Instagram for art podcast. You can also send an email at for art's sake podcast at gmail.com. That's F O R A R T S S A K E podcast at gmail.com. This has been for art's sake and our history museum podcast. And I'm your host, Rhea. Bye. <laughs>